welcome back to another episode of Sales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living. And I'm joined by John Sequera. He is one of our finest sales reps. And it's another episode of Tales from the Front Line. We're going to talk about, gosh, John, I don't know if it's been a year, but it's been, it's been a while since we talked. And the last time we talked, it was a mess out there. But I am so optimistic about what I've been seeing lately and hearing from you. So we're going to have a good time talking about the frontline selling you do. But first, I know you have something cold <laughs> and refreshing in front of you. What is that? I do. I have a Cotton Town Lager from Deep River Brewing Company. Mm. I'm based in uh, I'm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's nice to have uh, it's nice to have some local uh, local brews. And this one is out of Deep River Brewing in Clayton, North Carolina. Uh, love it. It's a good crisp American lager and it, uh, what, it's got an IBU of 11 for yeah. those of you who don't know what IBUs are. That's the measurement of hops. That's not a lot of hops. I do not like the bitter beer face. I'd rather have something <laughs> a little smoother. Uh, and so this one really fits the bill and I dig it. Excellent. Well, and you know, some of our listeners have chimed in and said, you know, if we can keep it under 25 on the IBU uh, list, that, that typically is a, is a palatable beer. Now, Tab, one of our founders, uh, who we both know very well, he likes some hoppy. So he's going to be more in that 50 range. He likes to get up there. I've seen the, I've heard of these people. I've heard of these people. A lot of friends that do like a long distance running and use the beer to carb load or at least use it as a reward where they burned all their calories. Uh, like some of them will even brag. It's like, man, this beer is great. It'll turn your face upside down. Like, oh, that doesn't sound fun to me. It doesn't sound like, well, I don't want to be hurt. I want my beer to hurt me. That's what, no, I, that's no, what I don't I, want. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I am going to enjoy, uh, as I've been in Florida for a while, John, as you know, I am uh, pulling on another Destin Brewing Company beverage. This is the Red Sky oh, Rye. Nice. Yep, it's a red-colored rye pale ale with notes of Florida orange and a balanced finish. Unfiltered, just like the Destin Red Sky Sunsets. Doesn't Look at that. That's dreamy? adorable. They didn't, even, <laughs> they didn't bring up any, anything about white sand beaches. I feel like that's they a very didn't. Destin thing. White nothing? All right. Cool, cool can. It's got, a, it's got a really nice sunset on the can with a fishing boat sort of going by out in the... Uh, the Emerald Coast waters. It's beautiful down here, as you know. 6.2% alcohol by volume. So if I, um, if I start to okay. snore a little bit later, that you know what happened. It just it got me by surprise. That's all. Or start being verbally abusive or like talking, saying you love me. It's one of the two. It's it emotional polls. Yeah. Or break out a bag of Doritos. I mean, any of those things. That's can fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into this because honestly, I mean, a, a year ago, uh, all hell broke loose and um, – you know, life as a salesperson changed maybe forever, right? I mean, just a lot of different things we had to all yeah. virtually. But you and I kind of in prepping for the pod, we, we talked about a bunch of things that have sort of turned the corner, things in a good way that, that, are, that are, you know, helping us sell better, be better salespeople, maybe than what we were before. And so I want to get into that with you and, and sort of unpack what you've been noticing as, as someone that lives on the front line of selling uh, and what you've noticed. And, and, I, and I, I love that we're going to talk a little bit about sales and marketing because I think mm -hmm. sales is a team sport. Uh, we talk about it all the time. And many of the yeah. previous podcasts, we've, we've gotten into it with people inside and outside the company about sales and marketing working together. So let's get in and let's start at the top. Like, what have you noticed in the market itself uh, over the mm -hmm. last six, nine months that seems to be changing 
that's um, that, and maybe some optimism that we can we can take from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, high level. The way I, as I look at what's going on and where where we might be feeling like the like the end is in sight or light at the end of the tunnel uh, in terms of optimism is is really you know what's the market doing? Uh, how our process has changed, meeting our mm-hmm. customers where they are. Um, you know the the marrying and and the recalibration of how we've operated from a marketing perspective, and then and then how that kind of one to one interaction has been, and kind of the mindset of, of really finding truth versus trying to convince people that they need something I- I, that they don't, right? So that's it's kind of where these themes get organized in those mm. four dimensions. But the the first one, you know, the first one is as we look at what's the market, uh, you know, how is the market evolved or changed i think there's really two dimensions one is there's i think we we are feeling the effects of a deferred demand dynamic and then maybe a part of that or really closely related is uh market-based optimism from you know the 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 organizations that might be our clients right Uh, so so you know deferred demand I think when when everything hit the fan, you know, it's March, May, March, April, May. No one knew what what was going to happen, right? The ground was shifting underneath us, and so I think in a lot of organizations, rightfully so, there was kind of a wait and see, or let's let's make sure that our cash is on hand. Let's kind of mm-hmm. uh, put off any short term uh, spend, and so there was definitely kind of a glut of demand. Luckily, some some key clients really uh you know really contributed to to our not feeling that as much yeah as we as we could have but i know that the market in general was like i don't know uh, i don't know what we're gonna do we're gonna wait if that is part of our plan if training is part of our plan um and a lot of people you know would find that hey training you know training a lot of times is not a short-term solution so when people's hair was on fire investing in a project that takes you know a month or two to vet out a month to get turned up, you know, another couple of weeks or, or a month or longer to deploy to feel the effects of how the, how their uh, salespeople would, would operate and whatever, you know, based on whatever their sales cycle looks like, you know, training candidly is not a, is not a we get results tomorrow, right? Yeah. That's just not a, not a deal. So in our business, I think that was, that, that probably played into it. But then also there are some organizations that, trimmed back, even, you know, cutting overhead, cutting some salespeople, uh, readjusting their go-to-market strategy. And I think we're feeling a little bit of the effects that, that are reminiscent of 2000, late 2010, 2011, where after 08 and 09, where, where a lot of people kind of really pruned their sales forces, they said, all right, well, now I think we've kind of, if we cut any more, we're going to cut into bone, but now let's look at the resources we have at our disposal and let's let's sharpen our swords, so to speak. Let's make these this kind of right-sized organization that we're left with. Let's make it work in the most efficient and effective way possible. And that is that is the story of why you train, right? That's why you develop your people to do more with with less. So yeah, I think that's what's happening, kind of market-wide. I don't know well, what you I, think about that. I like I like a couple things um, because I, I was, I'm reminded of a quote from an old uh, an old buddy of mine, Tony D at APC, when when we worked together, and he used to say, "Some customers are just going to take an aggressive plan of inaction," and I, and I feel like mm-hmm. that's where we were six eight months ago. Yeah. They, 
you know what? I just don't know what the future holds. So I'm going to pull back all my spend. If you, if you were part of the PPP, what the payroll protection program, the, the stuff you were using mm-hmm. that money for was to just keep people on the payroll, but you weren't going to invest in their, in their, in their betterment or their training for, for example. And I think it's the same for anybody that's selling products or services. They probably saw just a lot of pullback. And, and so I, mm-hmm. I, I like that piece. Um, and then I think, I think as we've, as we've come through the year, as people have seen that this doesn't, you know, if, if you're still in business, let's just put it this way. There is, there is light now at the end of the tunnel that people are spending. The market seems to be rebounding. Um, I love your term deferred demand. I think, I think people are starting to sit, you know, we didn't spend anything in our particular case in a consulting type business like this. Um, if they are shorter on teams or now they're onboarding to start growth again, we kind of fit into that. And I think all of you out there mm-hmm. that sell, services and, and, and consulting services or any sorts of uh, things like that are going to start to see the same thing, which is, which, which is good for optimism uh, purposes. I love that. So, so the market is, is, is point one. That seems to be adjusting. Let's talk a little bit about my favorite subject, the, the sales and marketing adjustment that took place um, over the last, mm. you know, three, four, five months. Uh, what are you noticing there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, our, I think there's been, not I think, I know there's adjustment in our process of how we connect with and then help our potential customers navigate through this decision-making process, right? So I'll just draw, draw a, a distinction. You know, our pre-COVID, pre-most things happening virtually approach was uh, an other-centered, you know, customer-focused approach of how people like to make decisions. But because a lot of these decisions were made with in-person meetings where everyone was jumping on planes and, and just the coordination of how, how and when that happens, uh, candidly, the decision process took longer and we really leaned into that to say, hey, it's probably a better idea to park on you know, a handful of vendors and really vet them pretty deeply so that yeah. you know, this is a pretty decent commitment. What we found is when everything's being done virtually and a lot of people like we're talking about their hair was on fire when they were asking for help, they needed it right away. Even if training itself is going to, you know, drive some dividends, you know, a month, you know, a couple months down the line, people were saying, great, I get that, but we need to start now. And because there's not this bottleneck that's represented by traveling, uh, you know, Customers who might vet out three vendors were vetting out six or more because mm-hmm. you've got to run through these vetting processes. And so uh, that, that required us to really adjust what we felt was in the best interest of our customers in terms of the, the kind of uh, what relationship vetting process. And candidly, we just made that. We responded to the speed with which people needed to start making decisions. Yeah. And so our process worked a lot more quickly. Um, we adapted really, you know, giving people information that we probably didn't in the past because we didn't think it suited their needs at the time. Yeah. But we're like, look, we know that this is a condition where probably, probably more evaluators are interacting with us than yes. in the past where it might've been real kind of strategic decision makers or budget holders. And so we had to adjust to, Hey, here's the information that I bet you need when you go to whomever sent you to go look for this type of thing and says of the six people you talk to, who should be the top three. And so we were very much almost in a, in a slick, which was, which was interesting because in the past, 
that was not an other centered approach, right? That seemed very much more like we're just giving you a menu. But in this environment, they need that, right? Because they're looking at six or more different options. And so that menu is not the, the menu of here's what we have, take it or leave it. It was more kind of a context play, like which of these mixes are close. Uh, and so that was, that was uncomfortable for us because we like to discover and we like to spend more time with our customers and get them what they need. But we, we had to adapt because that's what people really need. That's what served them best. And then the marketing approach, right? I, you know, to your credit, you lead, you lead our marketing efforts, our marketing team. Uh, we got better at dialing in on which, which, you know, potential clients in the marketplace met some pretty distinct kind of demographic and psychographic markers, right? Demographic there's, you know, what's the mix of types of industries that benefit most from training. Um, and then psychographic, are you somebody who's looking for a quick fix and you want to, you want us to help perpetuate maybe a, uh, a sales jock or a quick win or a manipulative based sales approach to, Hey, that's not our, that's not our bag. So the people that get the most value of what we do are people that are really trying to, yeah, of course, everybody wants to sell, but where there's some culture of, I want to sell the right way. I want to really meet my customers where they are and, and whether they're saying it or thinking it, it's, it's, candidates that are uh, truly primed to be an other-centered sales approach. So yeah. I think you've done a great job get, getting us connected with those people, kind of top of the funnel, and that, that gives us a lot more people who are most likely to benefit from what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll comment on, on the marketing thing because there was some intentionality involved in that. Um, but also, I want to go back to um, – Another thing with regard to that speed and those evaluators um, and that decision process being so condensed because there was a, a short-term pain point that they were dealing with. And I love that you, you mentioned, yeah, we, we did adjust our selling process, which you know, can, can be lengthy because we want to be so thorough. And that's just our nature mm -hmm. to, because that's the other centered approach is to make sure people make the right decision. And we have the 25 years of expertise to help them do that. But when people are, you know, up against the wall and need to make quick decisions, we did, we did a very, in my opinion, a very effective job of, of adjusting to that. Right. And yep. it, it was never more clear to me, and I, I can't remember if we did it with some of your clients, but I do remember um, with, with some of our other clients where reps or, or even some of our certified resellers would say, look, you know, and I'm just going to, this wasn't the analogy they came up with, but I think it's a better word picture for this illustration is they don't want to order the whole three course or four course meal. They, mm. they don't, you know. There's an, there's an appetizer, there's a salad, there's a main course, and there's a dessert. And eventually, they want to eat the whole meal. But right now, they just need the appetizer. And they need it today. Mm -hmm. All right? And, and mm -hmm. so maybe yeah. that wasn't always the way we sold because we didn't think it was in the best interest. But to your point, we said, you want the appetizer now and you want to come back tomorrow and have the whole meal? Okay, well, you know, we can probably make that happen, right? And so I think a lot of people yeah. out there, a lot of businesses had to adjust not only their selling process, but maybe even their, the way they sell their solution or the, the way the solution is, is, is you know, portrayed or, or sold. Um, I don't know well, if that or resonates. Packaged, right? If I go to the, oh yeah, I mean, if I go to the, the old marketing, what the four P's of marketing, right? It's, uh, what is it? Price, product, promotion, and, placement. Uh, and placement. Is that what yeah. it is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
so I think we're doing a really nice job at the promotion and the placement, right? That's what I think most people think about in, in uh, marketing, but product, just how we packaged yeah. and, and uh, what kind of made, made what in, in a lot of cases is a kind of a comprehensive solution, but kind of really breaking it down into an a la carte approach to say, you don't need this whole thing, but you need, for example, virtual intelligence. People are like, we've got training. Like we know training. We just don't know how to do it over yeah. the phone to yeah. sell. We don't know how to do presentations over Zoom. We're like, man, you're missing all this stuff about all these things we've got, but you know what? You're right. You just need this one thing or you just need this one thing immediately. And then let's see where we can potentially help you down the line. That's a, that's a lot of credit to, to you and just, you know, uh, you know, Mark, our president, and just making sure that we've got a, a, a way that we can package these things and make sure that the process of how to implement, right, with our, you know, Sean, our vice president of solution, and Sandy, our vice president of operations, like, you know, that's a different way to respond to customer needs, and that is other-centered. I mean, there's yeah. how, many, how many customers, how many, or how many uh, organizations that you're a customer of don't serve you well because they're like, ah, it's our process. We can't break it apart. I'm like, what are you talking about? Break it apart. I got, we're the customer. Or yeah. if there's enough people like us, you should change. You don't have to change for me specifically, but yeah. if, if I represent 30% of your business, you probably should think about adjusting that. And I, and I yeah. think we did a really nice job of that. Well, and I, and I think it is a testament to the, to the, to, to the entire Aslan team. You just mentioned many of them being able to not only adjust uh, on the fly back in April to convert what was largely 90% face-to-face workshops into a group that was mm-hmm. able to deliver everything, everything virtually, Yeah, uh, you know, tab and, 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 and Tom, you know, changing content and changing the way it just up, upskilling all of our delivery people to be able to make that transition. And now we're experts at it, teaching salespeople how to do it. I mean, it's, it morphed yeah. our entire business. And I think companies that were able to adjust on the fly, like, like what we did, um, are mm-hmm. going to be much stronger moving forward, right? Whether you're in pharmaceuticals yeah. or, or finance, if you're adjusting to the new way of doing business, you've got a place in this world. Cause even if it goes part of the way back to where it was, you're prepared for, for the next fork in the road, um, which is mm-hmm. amazing. And I'm not sure we're ever going back into these huge offices and <laughs> in New York city and everything else. Right. I think pe- people are, yeah, I know, don't know. Business process has probably changed forever. Um, you made another statement about the sales and marketing piece and, and where marketing played a role. And I, and I, and I love this because, you know, I think, um, this concept that we learned from our friends, uh, I'll give them a little plug impact, um, an agency that I, that I work very closely yeah. with, um, delivered this idea of they ask you answer marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what yep. they ask you answer essentially at its surface level or at its highest level is your customers. There are eight or 10 questions and you know, this eight or 10 questions. Every customer asks in that first discovery call or that first time you talk. So why yep. not answer those in your marketing? So that when, mm-hmm. by the time John Sequera, who's our foremost senior consultant expert on this stuff is getting to talk to a customer, he doesn't have to spend, you know, the first 20 minutes talking about the same old stuff. In theory, there could be some marketing blogs, you know, um, creative infographics, videos that answer those questions. And I think we did a better job. Mm-hmm. And that, what, what does that do, John? That, that creates the people that come through there, if they are still interested after they've read all that, there's a little more intent. 
built into their first questions. And you can then take all of that, those 20 years of expertise that you have and start to really understand their personal problems that we can potentially help solve. And, and by the way, we may not be able to solve those either. Right. I think that's yep. a, a key difference that you illustrated. We, we changed this year, which I think, yeah. you know, the second, the second side of that was it forced you and I, and, and, and our other sales teams to really get closer on what are those 10 questions that customers are always mm -hmm. asking. And we built lists yeah. and we wrote blogs. And so th this concept of revenue teams, it's not just a sales team, it's a revenue team. It's the, it's the sales and marketing guys in the same room uh, coming up with these concepts that customers care about. And that makes everybody uh, part of the process. And I think by the time sales reps are talking, which could be 70% of the way through the sales process, by the time you are talking mm -hmm. to the customer, they're informed, you're informed, and we have a much deeper conversation. Um, and we can really quickly say whether we can help or not, which is awesome, right? It, it saves everybody time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot. I mean, I know it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been just good to be like, hey, what are we, what are we doing? We're kind of giving ourselves the freedom to give people more information than we thought they would benefit from in the past. Right. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. kind of seems like there's a part, I don't, we're not, we're not laying out pricing because, because everybody knows it depends, right? There's so much scoping and what do you need? But man, I, I'm getting a new, we're, we're getting a new cooktop installed yeah. in our kitchen. We have an old house. It's kind of laid out funky. The kitchen's somewhat updated, but we got to get a, a new cooktop. And the guy from the, from the install company came out, he measured and he leaves and he's like, look, it's going to be $300 to install, but there might be some other additional charges once we get into it. I said, well, you were out here. You looked at it. What are you talking about? What other additional charges? And he's, I said, well, how much? And he said, I can't, I don't know. It depends. And I was so frustrated by that, yeah, yeah. that even as a seller, I was like, it depends. Well, tell you what, is it a hundred dollars? $300 or a thousand dollars more. Like you tell me, and it's like, Oh, it's probably a hundred dollars. Well then why don't you say that? I'm not holding you a hundred dollars, but give me a range. Yeah, and I think yeah. we've gotten, we've felt a lot more latitude to be like, Hey, I just got to tell you spot on. Cause I don't know what you know about this industry. Here's what it is. Cause people are always thinking through like, is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah. Smaller than a truck. Like yeah. what's the order of magnitude I'm talking about here. And it's not a quote you're giving them. Right. You're just saying, Hey, typically this is the range. I don't know if that scares you or worries you, or here's how we typically operate. I don't know if that scares you or worries you, but let's get a lot of those prerequisites out of the way because it's a better way to serve the customer so that they don't have to waste any time. If this That's is right. very clearly not a fit, let's get out of here. Right. It's yeah. not, it's not in your best interest to spend any more time talking to us. Well, and it's interesting, like I remember getting some heat um, internally, potentially more than, than externally when I wrote a blog probably last April about, you know, if you're researching sales training, then you, you're going to be researching a handful of companies. So I wrote a blog where I named who I thought the best virtual sales training companies were, including us. I mean, I think we're in the top five or six, right? right? And, right. And, I, and, and that blog has been so well received. People are like, I can't believe you would write a blog about your competition. But the whole point is, I'm, I, I, didn't, I don't want to write about my competition. I don't want you to buy from my competition, but I know you are going to research competition. So I just put them all in one blog for you so you can click on links and you can go through. And at the end of the day, we hope you pick us to be in the final three. And we think if we're in the final three, we're going to probably win because that we, we, we think our solution's right for a lot of people. But if not, what's the harm? Like we, we, maybe it wasn't meant to be. So I think you're yeah. right about like sharing price a little bit earlier. Um, 
you know, a little more freedom to, to just be more honest. Um, you know, people are evaluating and going quicker. I think, you know, we're, just by being other centered and trying to give them what they're looking for. Yeah. Maybe it cost us a deal or two, but maybe it won us a couple too. I just think I, I, I love the approach and we're other centered by nature. That's how everybody in our company feels. And I think that's the way we've been marketing for the last year. And I think it's, I think it's just valuable. And I think the sales, the sales side of it, uh, gain some advantage from that. So the, the bumper yeah. sticker on this folks is get closer to your marketing people, help them with, they ask you to answer <laughs> marketing. And by the time you get the lead, you, uh, you've got a great opportunity to succeed. There was one more yeah. piece that you wanted to cover about how the seller themselves maybe has changed a little bit over the last nine months. Let's talk about that as a good way to end this whole thing. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the, the, trajectory of this conversation kind of leads to that, right? It's, it's, it's all about being other centered, right? So the market changed, that's, that started, right? Our process adapted to that, both in marketing and how we strategically kind of help people through the multiple conversations they have to have with us to make sure that they're making the right decision and moving at their pace and getting them what they need when they need it, so long as we're clear on the fact that they need it. But in terms of the one-to-one -one capabilities that we talk about when we train or just the interactions with people when you have them on the phone or zoom or you're going through these pieces you know shifting our mindset from i'm trying to convince you that you need my thing maybe whether you need it or not and i'm not saying we ever really did that but trying to moving from this idea of convincing to i'm really just trying to find truth right and, and what's the difference there a lot of sellers have this, this, uh, what this, this pressure imposed in some cases, uh, or self, you know, imposed by their managers or the company or themselves to say, you got to sell whether the people you're talking to need this thing or not. Like you, you have to hit a number come hell or high water. Yeah. And so they're trying, they, they get so stressed out trying to fit square pegs and round holes, um, for, you know, to, to the credit of, how we're organized, right, at Aslan and, and, uh, and really practicing what we teach, we really employ this approach of, look, I I'm super passionate about what we do for the right people, right? Uh, yeah. you know, there's some people for whom this is not a big deal. I mean, there, there are companies whose product is so good, and they'll come to us. There's companies whose, whose products are so good that it doesn't matter if they're people you know, if, if they've got the worst salesperson or the best salesperson, there's no difference in what we call the rep effect, right? right. If yeah. the, if what is produced by your worst person is about the same as what's produced by your, by your best person, then this is not a training issue. And it's really empowering to be able to, to look at how businesses are organized to say, is this really a good fit for you? What are you trying to figure out? There are some companies whose product launch is so heavily anticipated that training before product launch isn't really that great of an idea or training everything right before the, you know, before the launch is that great of an idea because their market's just so hungry for it. And so there's some companies that's like, guess what? If your market's so hungry for it, go ahead, let them, let them get your low hanging fruit. And then when your sellers have a problem, let's now talk about training them and really moving this from, I need you to buy my stuff to let's figure out how to best serve your internal organization and how your internal organization can best serve your customers, that becomes, I mean, that's the epitome of being other centered. Yeah. And it's, again, it's about finding truth about whether what I have at my disposal is best suited to serve you. Or if 
if I'm not clear that we're the best ones to serve you, that doesn't mean that you can't work with us. It's just I'll tell people, look, at this point, if I can't find a real good business reason for you to train your people, that's, that's revenue-driven or market-driven, right. but you just want to invest in them because it's a morale thing and you just feel like you need to build a foundational training, knock yourself out. But let's all be super clear on what you're going to get out of what we offer based on how your organization is structured or what the personality looks like or how you've been serving your market up to this point. So I, I think it's that's, that's a great point. That's and, and I think it's so yeah. important for those listening that this doesn't just apply to a service industry either. I think whether you're selling hardware or software, all these principles apply because all of your clients just went through the same thing everybody else did. And I love, I love that. I love that approach. Um, it's why I'm here. It's why you're here. It's why we believe in what we do. Um, I know as we wrap this up, John, um, I think it's a great way to close this with, with a, a quick story that you told me before we came on, but the idea of, you know, the other centered thing that we can all do as sales and marketers together is to get people's head to turn. Um, because when they, when they turn their attention to something we either market or something we say on an opening phone call, those people uh, perk up. We talk about activating the, the reticular activating system in our program. And many of you have heard about this on the program. You've read blogs about it. But that part of the brain that filters out all the noise and gets us just to what's mm -hmm. important to us. What, what yeah. creates a gap in our understanding. So tell, tell the audience this, that story because I think it's a great memorable way to remember what we're all here to do. We're here to turn heads. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that. Well, I think it's really the story that the moral of the story is uh, sell to the people whose heads turn based on the, the, the stimuli, the messaging that you're putting out there. And this is a story yes. that comes from a, a book, a, a marketing book, uh, and it's, it's called the 80, it's called 80, 20 sales and marketing. We've all yeah. heard of the 80, 20 rule. Sure. Uh, it's actually interesting to know the, the, the origin of this. Um, it, you know, it's basically an old, uh, an old approach that related to farming kind of a theory that started in, in Italy about, you know, 80% of your, your crop, uh, is going to, uh, is, is going to develop, uh, I'm sorry, what 20% of your crop is going to develop 80% of your kind of usable marketable product. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, this is a sales and marketing book. It's written by Perry Marshall. And uh, he tells a story about kind of the idea of, of what, what, what really the role of a lot of marketing is, or really just top of the funnel. And it's to say, hey, who in this market are candidates for at least having a discussion or likely to work with us? And he tells a story about uh, what, uh, being in Las Vegas on the professional poker playing scene. And mm -hmm. he, was, uh, he, had a, he had this mentor who was kind of guiding him through, hey, this is how you win at poker. And it wasn't necessarily like the strategy, the algorithms, what you put down, what, but a lot of it was, who are you going to play against? And so, you know, in this dynamic, there was kind of this, you know, the, the poker games that were happening on the strip in what you might consider respectable, uh, what, institutions, mm -hmm. uh, where kind of everybody off the street is playing and you kind of want people that might be newbies, but there were these real serious games that were happening off the strip with kind of some rough characters. And so this mentor of, of the guy that was, that was trying to learn how to, how to play professional poker uh, would go to the, the uh, kind of broader market uh, places where these games were happening. And he would bring, this is where it gets really gnarly. He would bring an unloaded, I believe it was unloaded, sawed off shotgun and put it in his, put it in his, his uh, jacket. And he would, when he was in kind of a group environment, 
he would ratchet the shotgun. I didn't know what that meant. It's like cocking the shotgun. It's what you see yeah. in movies. Yeah. Terminator does it, right? It's the movement to like start loading the bullet. Ratchet the shotgun. And he was doing this because when he ratcheted the shotgun, it was such a distinct sound that if he was in a group environment, only the people that recognized that sound would turn their heads. And he would say, these are the people that I am not playing against. Because if they can, in a room, hear a ratcheted shotgun outside of its natural context, and that means something to them, that means a couple of things. Number one, they've been in some rough and tumble environments. They're probably not the kind of people you want to tangle with. They're probably playing these games high stakes off the strip, and I am not playing with them. And so I'm, it, it, was almost a, it was almost a RAS activating of a, a RAS as almost more of a disqualifier, where the people who yeah. didn't pay attention to this represent the ones that I am going to go after. Uh, and so he tells that story as the allegory for marketing. It's like, put something out there that kind of filters out your market, right? And it could either be the positive or the negative. And I know we're working through some exercise where we're going to be really intentional about markets we serve and markets that maybe, or, or conditions that are present in potential clients that mean we may not be a great fit. And it's better to know that early than later. And so that's, I, I love that story because it's a, you know, it's a it's a business to business sales and marketing. We can all get kind of on our high horse and academic about it. This guy's talking about ratcheting shotguns to make sure he doesn't get shot <laughs> so that he can gamble and make a lot of money. I just thought it was a fun it's fun a marketing one. allegory. That is excellent. <laughs> well, he is John Sequera. He is uh, tail from the front line. I hope you guys enjoyed some of the stories and some of the learnings of, of a crazy year. We hope you get out and share the podcast, uh, download it, subscribe. And make sure your friends are aware of this. This is what we do for you. It's a way of us giving back. We all want to make sure salespeople have a great and fulfilling career and love what they do. Uh, we will see you next week on another episode of Sales with Aslan. Mm-hmm.